If you want to open up your Bible to John chapter 10. A couple of places that we'll turn just if you want to head start. John chapter 10 is where we'll be spending 90% of our time this morning. 1 John chapter 2 and Philippians chapter 3. Every Christmas at the church I grew up in in southwest Missouri, we held a live nativity pageant. And so on one side of a little hill, we don't have hills here, but uh, you can Google it uh, if you need a picture. Uh, On one side of the hill, uh, people would park in their cars. It's, It's cold up there in the winter, so they would stay in their cars. And through a loudspeaker system on the other side of the hill, so you can imagine a little valley, you can also Google that if you're interested, uh, was the live uh, story of Jesus' birth being kind of, quote unquote, acted out with a narrator reading from the Gospels. And so if you grew up in this church, there was a pecking order. Uh, So you started out as what we called the travelers. The travelers were right at the beginning. They were the people who were acting out. In those days, Caesar Augustus uh, decided that the whole world would be taxed. And then here all across the the hillside would be people going from building to building to building. Um, Then you could get upgrade to be an angel at one point. But the place that I really always wanted to be was a shepherd for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, because they got to be around live animals. There were goats, there were sheep, uh, there were donkeys, and they were all near where the shepherds were. The other reason, the main reason why I wanted to be a shepherd was because the shepherds had a fire. Right? Uh, and, uh, and so before the evening performance, I would try to shove as much uh, burnable stuff into my pockets so that when everyone's attention was on the, the, the Herod or the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, I was just throwing things into the fire to see what would burn, how fast it would burn, how much bigger it might make the flame. Um, I was not what you would call a good shepherd. Uh, that's what we're talking about today. John chapter 10, Jesus is going to refer to himself as a good shepherd. Let's read verses 1. Together, Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Now notice in verse 1, it says that he's speaking to the Pharisees, which cues our memory to what we talked about last week in John chapter 9. Jesus has healed a man born blind. Amazing miracle. Unfortunately for Jesus, he did it on the Sabbath day. And because he had, uh, had put mud on this man's eye, he spit into the dirt, put mud on this man's eye, uh, the, the, the religious police, they considered that work. And so by working and doing this miracle, Jesus has broken the law of God. Then by commanding this uh, young man who had been born blind to go to a local pool and wash the dirt off of his face so that he could see, Jesus had instructed him to break the Sabbath because he uh, should not have, uh, quote unquote, worked that way. So people, instead of celebrating this man who used to be blind but now can see, they bring him to the Pharisees, 
which did a lot of different things. They were very righteous. They were very committed to God's law. But in some way, they functioned as the religious police. And what they're trying to decide in uh, John chapter 9 is... Is God blessing Jesus? Because some people say, yes, Jesus has, is blessed by God because who could do a miracle like this? But on the other hand, but he's doing work on the Sabbath and he's breaking God's law. So how can somebody who's breaking God's law be blessed by God? That doesn't make sense. So in John chapter 10, Jesus speaks directly to them and he tells them about sheep. And the point is that Jesus is the good and true shepherd. When we read in just a second, I am the good shepherd, what we need to be hearing is Jesus saying, I am the true shepherd. And he starts out by, by painting a picture for them that they would have known. If you were a shepherd in those days, uh, you were leading your flock uh, in, in the, the daytime, morning time, afternoon time, early evening time to eat in green pastures. But then in the evening, you would put them in some kind of pen. Uh, sometimes shepherds needed place to stay, places to stay. And so outside of a village would be a sheep pen. There would be somebody in charge of that sheep pen. And the shepherd would entrust the sheep to the care of the, the person leading the sheep pen. Uh, if you've uh, ever seen the movie Tombstone, um, not, we all love Jesus in here, so we've never seen any movies. But theoretically, if you did, uh, you know the Battle of the OK Corral. Uh, it's really the same idea. The people with horses needed some place to, to, to stay and they needed some place to keep their horse. They couldn't bring their horse into the hotel. Uh, and so outside of the little town, there was a place for horses and you would entrust your horse to somebody. And when you were leaving town, you would grab your horse. Well, shepherds did the same thing with their sheep. So Jesus is saying, when I've deposited sheep uh, into the sheep pen and I come back in the morning to get my sheep, my sheep are not the only sheep in there. Because you're a shepherd, you put your sheep in the sheep pen. I'm a shepherd, I put my sheep in the sheep pen. Jesus puts his sheep in the sheep pen. And in the morning, Jesus comes and he calls out his sheep by name. And his sheep know the difference between his voice and my voice and your voice. If you tried to call sheep that weren't yours, they would just totally ignore you. And it says that he calls them by name. And you, you could see how that would happen, that a livestock animal would be given a name. Because I bet you've named some pretty ridiculous things in your life. Like my daughter, Annabeth, on our way to Amanda's mom and dad's uh, house, we passed this little uh, quote-unquote farm. It's not much of a farm, but they have uh, you know, a couple of acres and they have some cows on there. And so we would consistently see uh, a few of the cows. And Annabeth, a few years ago, she gave them the names Cowie and Anderson. <laughs> I don't know which name bothers me more. <laughs> Cowie is not that creative. Cow, Cowie, just out of Y. But Anderson is not a cow's name. I don't know what a cow's name should be, but it is. I think of an accountant when I think of Anderson. So every time we drive by, we have to say hello to Cowie and Anderson. I'm not even sure that she's looking at the same two cows every time. Callie and Anderson, right? So these sheep that would be given names by the shepherds because they're spending all this time with them and that's just probably what uh, we do. And when the shepherd calls the sheep by name, here come those sheep and only those sheep that belong to the shepherd. Verse six, Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. In John chapter 9, he talks about their spiritual blindness. Now their spiritual blindness has turned into spiritual deafness. 
They can't hear what he's saying. Verse seven. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. So now Jesus has taken a different place. Not only is he going to say that he's the shepherd of the sheep, but now he's the gatekeeper. He's the one that the sheep have been entrusted to. And he says, you can trust me. When sheep are under my care, they get the two things that they need. They get the things that they need provided for them and they are protected. He says, I'm the gate. Nothing gets in, nothing gets out that I don't want in and I don't want out. Some historians uh, say that shepherds in those days, I don't know that they can prove this, but it is an interesting uh, idea that these sheep pens would not have gates in the way that you and I would think about gates, but it would actually just be an opening. And the shepherd would lay down at night in that opening. So if a sheep was going to wander out, it had to wander over him. He would wake up, he would be able to keep it in. Or if a wolf or something was trying to get in, it could only get in over the shepherd. And so the, the shepherd could, by laying there as the quote unquote, gate of the pen. He could protect the sheep by keeping them in. He could protect the sheep by making sure that nothing that was going to harm them could get in because he says thieves come to steal and kill and destroy, but I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. And I want you to think about right now um, a livestock animal, whatever you're thinking, a a horse, a cow, a a sheep that, that is close to death. You don't have to be a farm person to have something pop into your mind right now. Right? When, when animals get close to the end, they get very thin. Uh, they stop eating. Uh, they don't have a lot of energy. Uh, you don't have to be a veterinarian to look at an animal and go, that, that thing is not healthy. Uh, it's close to the end of its life. And so when Jesus says thieves come in to still kill and destroy, what's he talking about? He's talking about a sheep. Right? He's, he's talking about somebody being over the sheep that does not care for its own interest. But Jesus is a good shepherd and he's going to make sure that that sheep is fat and full and and has lots of life. And it says that he leads it out and the sheep are able to come and go and find pasture. Under his care, there's a freedom to come and go and and there's the provision of the the good pasture that they want. So when Jesus says that he's a good shepherd, there's a sense in which we are trusting him as Lord. Because you think about the sheep. Uh, I I don't know that much about sheep brains. Uh, In fact, I don't know anything about sheep brains. But the one thing I do know about sheep brains is that they are not as good as human brains. I mean, I'm going out on a limb there. But I feel like I'm pretty safe with the science. So imagine... The sheep brain saying to the human brain, where are we going? I don't want to go here. There's no good pasture out here. You would say to the sheep, hey, you have a sheep brain. It's a very sweet and nice sheep brain, but it cannot comprehend the human brain. So same idea in Isaiah chapter 55 when uh, the prophet Isaiah says that God thoughts are not our thoughts and God's ways are not our ways. And in Ephesians, it says that there is exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine with God. 
and to him be glory forever and ever through the church. What both of those are saying is that before you and I start questioning Jesus's ability to shepherd us and to lead us to good pasture, we need to go, wait a second. Am I thinking with my sheep brain? Because God, I know that your thoughts are way beyond mine. And if you say, come in and you say, go and you say, this is the good pasture, then I'm going to believe you by faith, even though I can't see it with my sheep eyes right now. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. So Jesus is comparing himself to the hired hand. There's the shepherd. The shepherd has an investment in the sheep. And you've, you've had a job like this. You've had a job where you feel totally invested. You love the company. Uh, you love the culture of the company. You love the people around you. You love your coworkers. You believe in the mission of the company. There's a sense in which doing your job is very fulfilling. And then you've had jobs where your only enjoyment of that job is every two weeks when you get paid. That's it. You're only in it for the paycheck. And we have all taken turns uh, having those kinds of jobs. And Jesus says, no, I feel responsible to my job as a shepherd because I own the sheep. I have a responsibility there, not just to the job that I have, but to the sheep that I'm shepherding. But the hired hand is only in it for the paycheck. Doesn't care about the sheep, doesn't have any investment other than, the, the, than his own personal gain in it. So where the interests of the sheep and the hired hand are aligned, then the hired hand does a good job. But where the interests of the sheep and the hired hand diverge, the hired hand goes with his own best interest. So when he sees the wolf coming, he's like, I'm out of here. I'm not going to risk my life for these sheep. This is just a job. I don't have any responsibility other to it other than it helps me to make money. And Jesus says, I'm not the hired hand. In fact, Look what he says in verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So he's in it all the way. When the wolf comes, there is nothing in which this good shepherd will not offer of himself, which is the gospel. Right? That is, this is the cross. The, the good shepherd say, saying, I am going all the way with my interest and care, protection and provision for the sheep. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. In my version of the Bible, there are two little dashes there in between 14 and 15. Uh, that's the equivalent of our parentheses. You, you ever started a, a sentence and then in the middle of the sentence you say like a related but unrelated uh, thing, and then you finish the sentence that you started. That's what Jesus is doing here. He, he's saying, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me in parentheses, just as the father knows me and I know the father in the parentheses and I lay down my life for the sheep. So this is, this is really good news. Like this is, this is, this is the best news that's going to happen to you today. Jesus has said, you and I can know him, shepherd and sheep, just as his father knows him and he knows his father. Now think about how well Jesus, the son of God, 
And God the Father, know each other. Care for one another. Love one another. Partner with one another. Jesus says, that's the way I want to know you, and I want you to know me. John, who wrote this gospel, he, he also shared some things in 1 John chapter 2 about knowing Christ. Hopefully you still have 1 John marked. Verse 12, I am writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. Now, some Bible scholars have given their whole lives and are giving their whole lives to trying to figure out exactly who John is talking about when he refers to these three groups of children, uh, people. Dear children, young men, uh, fathers. In, in some sense, there is a distinction. In another sense, all of these things need to be true about us. But let's just assume for just a second that there is an order of spiritual maturity, as would make sense. You start out as a dear child, you grow up into a young person, and then you become a parent. Ideally, parents have more spiritual maturity than teenagers, and ideally, parents have more spiritual maturities than dear children. But So look at how it describes the fathers. Verse 13, I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. Then down in verse 14, I write to you, fathers, because you know him, again, who is from the beginning. So this is the mark of spiritual maturity, that you know him who is from the beginning. Now, I think that John is saying, because you know Christ, him who is from the beginning, for two reasons. One, because in verse 14, he already mentions God's the, God the Father. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father, with a capital F, I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. That's reason number one. Reason number two is because John starts his gospel, which we're in now in chapter 10, by saying in the beginning, that was a word he mentioned here, because you know him who is from the beginning. In the beginning was the word, he's talking about Jesus, and the word was with God and the word was God. So the sign of spiritual maturity that I'm growing from dear child to young person to spiritual parent is that I know Christ who is from the beginning. Now, that's different than our definition of spiritual maturity. Our definition of spiritual maturity is you're a good dude and you come to church a lot. Listen, if you want a lot of power in churches in America, just be a good person, come to church a lot. That's all you got to do. Because we only define spiritual maturity by the things that we can see. Uh, we can see you here all the time. Uh, we define it by things you can brag about. I read my Bible a bunch. Look how worn out it is. This one's not worn out. It's brand new, by the way, so it's, don't, don't judge me. It's, it's two days old. But John says, no, uh, spiritual fathers, and I think, parentheses, spiritual mothers. They, they know him who is from the beginning. They know Christ. And then like all things, the Apostle Paul takes an idea that others have and then turns it up to like volume a thousand. Philippians chapter three. Verse 
Verse 7, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. The Apostle Paul is saying in Philippians chapter 3, I am putting everything in my life for sale. I am putting a for sale sign in all of my life so that I can know Christ better. What he's talking about in Philippians chapter 3 is his resume. If you go back and read the first six verses, that's what you'll see. And he had a pretty impressive resume in his culture at his time. And he says, nope. For sale sign. Sell all that. And then he goes on to say, but if you don't want to buy it so that I might not know Christ better, then I just put it all at the curb. It's trash. I count everything as loss, he says, for the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That's how seriously he took Jesus' little phrase with the parentheses, My sheep know me and I know my sheep, parentheses, just as the father knows the son and the son knows the father. Paul took that so seriously, he said, I'm willing to sell everything that I have to trash everything that I have so that I can experience that. And then he takes that, which sounds fine to us, and puts some real skin in the game by saying, I want to know Christ And I want to know the power of his resurrection, which is like, yeah, of course. Amen. Please. When I pray, I'd like to have the power of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ there. When I minister in his name, I would like God's power to be there. Who wouldn't sign up for that? And then the last part, it's like, no, thank you. And the fellowship of his suffering. And that's where all of us get off the train. But when we get off that train there, we miss the knowing him part. Otherwise, I'm just saying, God, I want to know you in favor. I want to know you in blessing. I want to know you uh, through only answered prayer. I don't ever want to know you through what seems to me unanswered prayer. Can you imagine your children saying to you, God, no, you're not God. Please don't, you're not God. Uh, But your children saying to you, Mom, Dad, I only choose to know you in the moments that you give me what I want. I don't care about your history. I don't care about your passions. I don't care about your commitments. I don't care about your story. I don't care about any of that. I only want to know you through your yes to my whims. And that's why the, and the fellowship of your sufferings is so important. Because it is the test of, do I really want to know Christ? It is the, did I put a for sale sign in the rest of my life so that I might know Christ? I'm I'm going on a limb, I guess. I'm, I'm guessing that most of us have felt like knowing Christ has not been at the 
top of my experiences in my lifetime. And it is because I accidentally said, God, I only want to know you when you give me what I want. But the, the Apostle Paul, he says, no, if you told me I could know you the way you know the Father, what's the rest of this about? So for sale sign. So I want to encourage myself, I want to encourage you, for sale sign in all of your possessions. Uh, for sale sign in all of the credit that you get at work. Uh, for sale sign for all of your life goals. For sale uh, we should have already decided I have sold comfort and I have counted safety the same way I counted my garbage cans out on the street this week. That's what Paul does in Philippians chapter one, because he's in anybody know this little pop quiz where Paul is writing Philippians from. He's writing it from jail. And if you are in jail in first century Roman Empire, there's not a real sense of confidence this is all going to work out for me. And, and he says, actually, you know what? He writes this to the Philippians. Go read it uh, later this afternoon. Um, he says, I'm okay with that. I've already decided these things. Um, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. My translation of that is life, death, either way, I'm about Christ. So if I die, I get Christ. If I continue to live, I'm going to be with Christ as it's ministry to you, he tells the Philippians. So those are really our options. To know Christ, to know Christ in death, we'll be with him. Our faith will be made side. To know Christ in life is ministry to other people. We've tried to make this third avenue, which is to know Christ and do nothing. And I, I just don't think that's a winning formula in the scripture. Paul says, I want to know you. With every, and I mean, just imagine that. Saying, in the prime of your life, to depart is far better. We understand somebody who's like 107. Like, oh, I just want to be with the Lord. Like, that makes total sense to us, doesn't it? Lived a long, good life, probably feels frail and sick there at the end. Yeah, it's better for you to go home. But what if you heard a 32-year-old in Cypress, Texas? No cancer, no pain. Say, you know what? To depart is far better. I love these kids. I love this family. I just could not love them possibly anymore. With the love of God, I am so desperate to see Christ. I can taste it. And if he took me right now, do not mourn me. To depart is far better. You start saying that stuff. Start putting that on your Facebook feed. Pe uh, well, people will probably call somebody. That's <laughs> honestly. And then when they visit you. Uh, you'll get the opportunity to say, no, I put a for sale sign in every aspect of my life so that I might know Christ. And so either way, I win. I win people into the kingdom if I stay here. And I win Christ and I win that crown if I go. Paul took seriously Jesus' invitation to know Christ 
the shepherd. He who was from the beginning seriously, and I want to take it more seriously too. Then he goes on in John chapter 10. Verse 16, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Now, this is a real left turn, isn't it? Um, and this would, have been, this would have been hurtful to the, the ears of the people listening because the Israelites, um, they believed that they were the sheep of God. It's true, they were. They believed that they were exclusively and uniquely the sheep of God. So as Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd and I'm going to shepherd you, but oh, by the way, I'm going to leave you in the pen and I'm going to go and get these other sheep and then I'm just going to put you all in one big pen together. Uh, there, are real, uh, um, there are real changes to the societal structure. That's not a word, but you know what I mean. Uh, that Jesus is speaking to. This, this was a big deal. Years ago, I, I used to take teams to Honduras, uh, teams of college students to Honduras to do ministry. And uh, one year, uh, we were sitting around with uh, local pastors, local Christians there, and some of our team. And well, we were talking about just uh, the, some of the countries that surround Honduras. And, and, uh, and, and as we're talking about it, one of our college students, she elbows me real hard, like, stop talking. And, uh, which is not, I mean, that happens all the time. But, uh, so I, but I needed confirmation about what she was talking about. She grew up in Central America. She, her parents were missionaries, uh, first in Nicaragua and then in Guatemala. And she says, you don't want to start talking about that because the Hondurans and the Salvadorians, they got real bad blood between them. And, it, and it's true. You can, there's a whole Wikipedia page dedicated to the conflict between the Salvadorians and the uh, people from Honduras. They even had a war called the Hundred Hour War. It got kicked off with a soccer game just crazy, but it wasn't the soccer, what happened in the soccer game is a World Cup qualifier that really was the issue. It was years and generations of the things that, of prejudice, really, honestly. So imagine Jesus saying to the Salvadorians, hey, you guys are great. Love you. Um, I got to go and get the sheep from Honduras and bring you guys together. I mean, it makes sense to be like, well, I mean, what if we had two pins? Uh, or what if you went and got the Guatemalans first? Right. I mean, does it have to be them? Right. And this is what Jesus is doing to the Israelites. Hey, you guys are great. I, I got to go and get Gentiles. And, and I got to bring them in. Right. And so uh, our prejudice is that they, they, they got in the way of the first Christians. You, you know deacons? You've heard of deacons? You know what deacons were invented for? To solve problems that prejudice started. Because there was a group of widows among the very first Christians. Uh, they were more accepted than another group of widows. And so the ones that were more accepted were getting the things that they needed. And the ones that weren't were lacking. And so the apostles, they created deacons to manage this problem, to make sure that everybody got what they needed. In Galatians chapter 2, we see Peter, apostle, capital A apostle, his prejudice coming out. Because for a while, he was free with all of the Gentile Christians. Even though they didn't wash their hands a certain way and they didn't follow all the rules that Jewish people did. But as soon as the Jewish Christians came, observed him interacting with the Gentile Christians, you know what he did? He started washing his hands a certain way again. He started only eating with the Jewish Christians. 
And our prejudices are really getting in the way. And we need to make sure that God's searchlight roots that out of us for this reason. Because Jesus said, I'm going to get the other sheep and I'm bringing them in. But at the end of the Gospels, what does Jesus do? He leaves. Ascends back up into heaven. And right before he does, he gives the great commission, we call it. You go to all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded. So Jesus is doing this work of going to get sheep from all over the world and bringing them into his pen. But you know who he's doing that work through? You. So we got to start taking this work seriously. As I was praying this week, God has never spoken out loud to me. I think it would be so great if he did. I would probably not tell you about it, though. Um, So if I ever say, stop saying God has not spoken out loud to me, then you'll know that he actually has. Right. So he's not ever spoken out loud to me, although I think that would be amazing. Um, But as best as I could ever hear God, as I was praying um, this week, um, I got a real sense that somebody at church today, and uh, maybe hopefully it's not in this service, but in one of the earlier services, um, in the next month, you are going to get a job opportunity to go overseas. And I think you should pray about it. Because I think that it is God sending you to gather in more sheep and your company's going to pay for the mission. So yeah, you're going to go and be an engineer or salesperson or management or whatever it is. But really, you are going to go as an ambassador of the shepherd. So if sometime in the next month you get that job opportunity, pray about it. Because he's gathering sheep from all over the world. And somebody's got to go and represent the shepherd. So if you don't want to go, I would encourage you to take a month of vacation. But uh, be on the lookout. Because Jesus is gathering up his flock. Verse 17, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. No one had ever heard of a shepherd that had been resurrected from the dead. So when Jesus is resurrected from the dead, it makes it so clear that is the good shepherd. And so the question for us today as we finish, close your Bible, is whose voice is going to shepherd you? Because there are a lot of voices in the world. Did you know that you pick up your phone every 4.5 minutes? That's 81,500 times a year. Most of those 81,500 times you are taking in the opinions, the thoughts, the hot takes of somebody else. At the same time, we are as stressed out, I think, as uh, human beings have ever been stressed out. And it makes total sense why. 
If 81,500 times a year I am asking somebody, hey, what do you think about this very heavy topic? What do you think about, uh, you know, I should be doing? How, how do you think that I measure up and compare? And you could see why it's so stressful. And that's really what we're doing when we're checking social media statuses. It's not just, oh, that's going on with them. It's also a, it's an, an asking of, do I measure up? What is somebody else's opinion? Who should I vote for? What should I be thinking about? What should my priorities be? I mean, imagine if 15 times an hour, which I think is uh, 4.5 minutes every hour, uh, 15 times an hour, you look somebody in the eye and like, hey, what do you think about the most important things about life right now? <laughs> Politics, fix it, go right now. It's like 15 times an hour. And, and that's what we do when we pick up that phone, most of us. I mean, maybe some of you are actually calling human beings on the phone. I mean, very small percentage of us now. Right? My point is, is that there are a lot of voices in the world who are willing to shepherd you if you'll let them. Uh, some are thieves and robbers. Um, some are not thinking about it. They're just committed to their own self-interest. But there is one voice, the voice of the Good Shepherd. And under his protection and care, you come and you go and you find green pasture. Let's pray.